Welcome to the story behind her success with Candy O'Terry, presented by Boston Women in Media and Entertainment, sponsored by Tech Help Boston. Everybody loves a great story, and this is one of them. I believe that when we share our stories, we give each other a glimpse into what is possible. As women, we share our stories, I think anyway, with arms wide open. Whether it's, here's what I did wrong, or here's what I did right. There is so much to learn from one another. So let me set the tone for our interview. You wake up, you make your coffee, you check your phone, you grab your laptop, and you flip on the TV to catch the news. You see gorgeous women and handsome men telling you what's happening in the world today. How do they look so put together so early in the morning? What are their lives really like? Do they really love their jobs? Because it sure looks like it. What's it like to be a news anchor or a reporter? Well, let's find out. We are live in the newsroom for this interview so that we can capture the vibe. In the spotlight, Elizabeth Hopkins, news anchor for Boston 25. Elizabeth, welcome to the show. Candy, thanks so much. Okay, so should I call you Elizabeth in this or Lily? So my friends call me Lily. I consider you a friend after we had that wonderful experience of that 2019 Empowering Women Conference. Please call me Lily. Let's start out with Candio's lightning round. Are okay, you ready? I'm ready. Okay. Duncan or Starbucks? Ooh, depends on the day. Truly. Okay. Favorite food on the planet. Can't do without it. Macaroni and cheese. If it's lobster mac, even better. Regular workouts or no time for that stuff? Regular workouts, just like you brush your teeth. What do you do? Well, at midnight, I'm on the treadmill before anything else happens. And then hopefully at some point, I'm able to get some weights in. Heels or flats? Flats, although you'd never know it to see me on the air. Dresses or pants? Pants. Books or movies? Books. Introvert or extrovert? Extrovert. And finally, guilty pleasure. Ooh. Well, I do love a British tabloid when I can snag one. You know, I have to tell you, I now love my lightning round because <laughs> it really is a snapshot of who you are, right? Yeah. It just gives us a little bit of an idea of what makes you tick. All right, here we go. Let's start by telling everyone what time you wake up in the morning, because I know people <sighs> think, oh, it's so glamorous to be on television. <laughs> Maybe that's not so true. So I wake up every morning at midnight. I get out of bed and I head off to the gym, watch a little program while I'm on the treadmill, get ready, shower, dressed, make up everything at the gym. This does two things. Number one, it wakes me up. And number two, it keeps my bathroom at home spotless. <laughs> Very efficient. <laughs> so I know that you're married. Mm -hmm. How do you make sure your husband doesn't wake up during all of this? He wakes up with me. I, I don't know many men like him. And he's been so amazingly and wonderfully supportive. And one of the things he said was, you know, whatever schedule you're on, I want to do it with you so we can spend time together. You know, I remember from doing mornings in radio here in Boston for years that for a person in radio, it doesn't matter what we look like because all we are is heard and not seen. But for you, you got to be on your game and looking pretty good. What time do you arrive at the station? About 2.30, and let me tell you, there's nothing like wearing a cocktail dress at 2.30 in the morning on a winter day. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so where are you from? Tell us a little bit about that. Where'd you grow up? I grew up in New York. My father is a retired NYPD police captain, and my mom's a school teacher. All of our time was spent in New York, except in the summertime when we would come up to the Cape. Cape Cod is such a special place to my family that it's almost like 
if we miss it for a summer or if for some reason we're not able to come to the Cape, it's like a member of the family is missing. You start to feel it. What was it like to be raised by an NYPD police captain? My dad is fantastic. You know, his, his kids came first and he did everything he could to give us the world. If it meant working overnight, he did it. He used to say to me all the time, it's got to be somebody. Why can't it be you? And he used to say, you know, lead, follow, or get out of the way. And I just treasured those lessons from him. If I had had the chance to interview when you were a little girl or a teenager and ask you what you wanted to do with your life when you grew up, what would you have told me? Well, my father was my first best friend. And so I wanted to be the police commissioner of New York City. Oh, God. To which my parents laughed the same way. And they said, uh, no, no. <laughs> When you know the inside of it, any business or any industry or any agency, you know how difficult it can be. And so I think that my father saw that perhaps that was not what I was destined for. Who were your early role models? I know you've mentioned your dad was your first best friend. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. My early role models, definitely my parents. And I would say definitely my maternal grandfather. He was not a perfect man. And it's interesting because all the good about him and all of the bad about him left such an imprint on who I am. He was a homeopath. He put himself through college at a very old age and became a chiropractor. He came here to America for a better life. Where did he come from? From Germany. Actually, my mother was born in Germany as well. And I spent a lot of time with them when I was younger. And he had very particular views about things, but he was one of the biggest influences. We lost him a couple of years ago. And my mom and I still talk about, oh, we wish you were here to answer this question or to bounce something off of. What about college? Where'd you go to school and what did you study? I went to the College of New Jersey. I actually first went to SUNY Rockland, which is a community college. And the good thing about going to a community college is no one can accuse you of having bribed your way in. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so I made it in fair and square. And actually, community colleges, I think, are so valuable because if you're not sure what you want to do or you weren't the best student or you don't have the means to afford the kind of college that you probably dreamed of, it's such a wonderful opportunity to be able to get a two-year degree and then move on to sure. whatever else. So I ended up going to the College of New Jersey. I thought I was going to be in public relations and uh, ended up taking an internship at a television station, and the rest is my history. Let's talk a little bit about that, because internships, you know, they can give you a little taste of it, mm -hmm. and you say, oh, now I've been bitten by the bug, and then sometimes it's like, wow, glad I did that. I don't want it. <laughs> right. Okay? Tell us about your experience as an intern and so how that changed your life. I interned at WCAU in Philadelphia, and I fancied myself an Edward R. Murrow. Okay. Uh, you know, it was, <laughs> uh, it was so exciting, and there was breaking news, and there were so many resources, and there were so many people who had, I think in order to go into television, there has to be something a little off about you, okay? Uh, you have, there has to be something about you that says, you know, no matter the time, no matter the scenario, I'm going to get in front of that camera. And when that red light goes on, I'm going to do my tap dance. <laughs> I was so taken with all of it. And uh, I just fell in love. And I thought, this is what I want to do. The first time you ever saw yourself on television, I'm thinking that was probably at your first news gig in South Dakota. It was. Talk about that. I go from New York. I tell my parents I'm going to go into TV. And they said, look, we have no idea how to help you. It's, it's such an intangible thing. How do you go about getting on television? The whole family packs up and we drive via caravan out to Rapid City, South Dakota. Oh, boy. Sioux Falls, South Dakota, the metropolis that it is. <laughs> 
one of my first um, live shots was at Ellsworth Air Force Base. It was a re- actually a really cool experience because I felt like I was ready for this. I felt like I'm going to be here 10 minutes and I'm, then I'm going to be on the Today Show. Wait till you see. And so I give what I believe to be the performance of a lifetime. And I flew. I flew. You know, they talk about when, when you talk about stand-up comedians, uh, they say one of the most dangerous things is to have success right out of the gate because you think, well, this is it. This is it. I've made it. And, and wasn't that easy. Right. And so I do my thing, and the news director calls the producer and said, what are you doing putting on a national package in the A block of a local news? They thought I was the national reporter. I thought, this is it. I will make it. So I thought. You know, what's interesting about where we begin and where we end up is that we have to earn our stripes along the way. Can you talk a little bit about that? You know, Meg, the founder of Pharmalogics, who was at Women's in Power conference that happened just recently, which you moderated and hosted so beautifully. And you were able to draw out of each of these women these gems that I've sort of deposited in my heart. And one of the things that resonated with me with her was that she said, the process is so painful. Yes. And it is. It's such a painful process. You know, after that conference, uh, a woman came up to me and she said, you know, with your younger self, what advice would you have given? And I thought to myself, oh, my goodness, I would have just zipped my lip. Because had I known how long and how painful that process would have been, yeah. although how necessary. And humbling. Oh, yes. My dad used to say, Candace, stay humble. I have a quick story to share mm-hmm. with you. When I first got on the air at Magic, I was the secretary to the program director and got on because someone fell asleep on the radio. <laughs> they had no one else to put on, and here I am. And so they started using me a little bit more and a little bit more until one day they put me on midday, which is the number one air shift on the radio station. I got on the air at 9 a.m. The shift was small, 9 to noon. I got off the air, and I had to go and answer the phones. Mm. It was my turn to be the receptionist during her lunch break. Mm -hmm. And I said to my father, can you believe it? I was just on the air, and then they tell me I have to answer the phones. And he looked at me, and he said, you stay humble. And remember, it's going to be a long process. Oh, he was so right. He was right, wasn't he? So right. And the wisdom in that. Yeah. Yeah. Every job that I've gone to, South Dakota and Wisconsin and Rhode Island and Boston, it's just been up and up and up and up. And then I came to Boston, and it was like God put blinders over people's eyes. And it was such a humbling experience because the things that were promised to me with a wink and a nod and a handshake never materialized. It was a painful and humbling experience Mm. to go through that process, and yet so necessary, so absolutely necessary to tease out who are you if you're not given this? Here's a question. Do you think that those stops along the way taught you certain things Mm. that you use every day on the air? Absolutely. Like what? There's a woman named Lisa Turkers. She has a book out and it's, this wasn't supposed to be this way. And she talks about having a private funeral attended by one person, you, in which you bury your expectations. It's so important because we're not entitled to our expectations. I'm not entitled to being whoever I think I'm going to be. I'm not entitled to that. Wow. I have come to understand 
you know, Dr. Rob Reamer in his book Soul Care talks about that you'll get a glimpse of where you can go to sustain you during that time where you feel like you're in the wilderness, where you feel like you've been forgotten. And the most powerful thing that I feel like I have now is the ability to see with my natural eyes, I can see what's going on, and with my spiritual eyes to say, but there's a reason that I'm here. There's a lesson in this, and I need to succeed at that. It doesn't mean it's the end. It just means this is a proving ground to tease out all of the nonsense that I need to take out of my system in order to handle the next step. You came to Boston from Providence in 2010, and you've covered many stories, some of them heartbreaks, like the Sandy Hook Elementary School. Of course, I'm sure you're on the air for 9-11, the Boston Marathon bombings. How do you maintain your own sense of calm? You're running down the hallway. You know, the story is breaking. People are looking at you. They want to know what's happening. How do you maintain your cool, your calm? When I went to to cover the Sandy Hook Elementary School shootings, there was a piece of plywood that was tacked to an electrical pole, and it was spray-painted with one word, and the word was, why, with a question mark. And it was like there was a pall over the entire town. I, it's so intangible, there, there really is no way to describe it. But since that moment, I can tell you honestly and heartbreakingly that part of my composure comes from the fact that I am no longer surprised. And that's heartbreaking. Please support our sponsors. They make this show possible. More than 30,000 families and businesses have trusted TechHelpBoston.com since the year 2000. Dave Elmazian, president of Tech Help Boston, with the reasons why. It's really about forging a relationship and having a trusting relationship because your technology is very personal to you. It used to be in the old days that things were private. When you're online, nothing is private anymore. And we want to make sure that that information is kept confidential and with somebody that you trust and you feel comfortable with. You can trust Tech Help Boston to keep your computer and systems running right. Call 781-484-1265 or visit techhelpboston.com. That's techhelpboston.com. Describe a day in the life of a major market news anchor. <laughs> <laughs> we know you get up at midnight. Mm -hmm. We know you get here at 2.30 in the morning. Mm -hmm. Then what happens? I've already gone through the the papers as I'm waking up in bed, bleary-eyed. By the time I get here, I've kind of got a handle on the world's events. So I start going through the scripts and looking everything over at the local news and uh, the reports from our last reporters that came in. I'll be assigned two stories that I'm what we call fronting, retelling, and updating. And I'm going through all of my scripts. I'm on the air at 4 a.m. From 4 to 5, I'm anchoring from 5 to 9, I'm doing whatever the need is for the day. And then from 9 to 10, I'm anchoring again. It is a whirlwind of a day. It happens really quick. 10 a.m. comes before you even know it, right? <laughs> yes, it does. You have a way of reaching through the television set and making me feel like you're talking to me. How do you do that? Oh, that is so – what a lovely, lovely thing to say. And I think one of the hardest things – and maybe – Maybe you feel this way, too. One of the hardest things to be on television or in radio, I assume, is to just be yourself, yes. right? Not what people expect of you, not what you expect of yourself, 
not what you think will goose the ratings, but to just be yourself. I've been through enough pain that I want to be the kind of person where you feel safe. You feel comfortable with me. I want to talk to you like when I get off the desk and I call my mother, like I talk to her. And I love that feeling. So thank you. You're welcome. I do see it each and every day. (laughs) Okay, couple questions. The first one is, when an obstacle is in your path, how do you get around it? The first thing that I need to do is I need to stop and say, okay, why is this obstacle here? Because the thing is, God can remove these obstacles from our path in an instant. He has the capability to do it. And so if he's not removing these obstacles, then there's probably a reason why. It can take a long time for that to happen. (laughs) I think that there is a settling point, a point where, not that you settle down, but when you just kind of sit with, okay, I felt like I was supposed to be moving forward. I felt like this was my calling. I felt like this was my path. I see there's something here. What do you want from me? And it's so hard to do. It's so hard to say, this is what I want. But God, I want what you have for me more. And I'm willing to lay it down because God answers prayer in three ways, I believe. Yes, wait, or I have something better. So sometimes that obstacle is there because he needs you to wait. There's something in the midst of that that he's teaching you. And sometimes he's saying, I need to pry that thing out of your hand that you're holding on to so tightly because I've got something better for you. You've mentioned your faith in this interview. Can you share with us what your faith has meant to you in your life? Well, you know, I just don't know how anybody does it if they think that this is all there is. I I don't know how anybody does it If there's no place to turn, if there is no refuge to run to, if you are not able to understand that what we're seeing in the natural is just part of the story, then how can you feel like you're being drawn or there is purpose or there is a calling on your life? And when you lose that and when you lose that hope, that's when dark things start to happen. What's your best advice to a young woman who's listening to us have this conversation today? And she wants to do what you do. She wants to be like you. Mm. What's your best advice to a young woman? Well, first of all, wanting to be like me is, (laughs) I I would say, I would say lay that down. (laughs) I want you to be you. Not to follow the expectations of what your parents say you should be or what your parents say you shouldn't be. But to really get quiet and try to tap into and understand what do you believe the calling of your life is? You know, all of the pain that you've been through and all of the experiences that you have and all of the education that you have, whether that's in a classroom setting or in a real world setting, all of it is coming together to work toward your ultimate destiny, your ultimate calling. And so what I would say is... If you don't know what you want to do, or even if you think you do know, sit with it quietly and make sure you have peace about that first step because it will be painful and it will be a long road and you will work holidays like you did for so many years and you may be homesick. I've been homesick for 17 years, but it's during those times where you have to know that this was the path. I'm willing to adjust. I'm willing to lay it down if need be. But during those times, you have to know you're moving towards something. You've got lots of fans, but we all need that one person 
who believes in us, who keeps us humble, who keeps us on track. I call those your objective third party. Mm. Who is that person for you? Oh, that's absolutely my mom, my dad, and my husband. You know, particularly with my dad, he makes me believe that I could go out and get the world. And my mom is the one who puts my feet on the ground, who reorients me, who tells me, look, your attitude needs to change. Something needs to shift. What a wonderful gift that is in, in having the both of them. Final question. You've got a personal philosophy about being, quote unquote, a successful failure. Mm. Tell us what that means. I think that there are going to be times that are going to be very difficult. I, I feel like right now I'm in the weeds. And you have to, again, look through your spiritual eyes and not your natural eyes. You have to succeed at what you think is a failure. You have to pass this test because there are going to be times where you feel like you're the best one out there. Everything should be coming together. You have this expectation of how it's going to go. And it may not meet your expectations. And there is something so much stronger. There is so much more powerful of a lesson to be learned in those times than in the times where everyone's patting you on the back and lifting you up and moving you along. There will be those times. There will be those mountain highs. But there will be valleys too. And during those valleys, you have to make sure that you are open, flexible, malleable, and humble in order to get through that so you'll be ready to handle the next thing, that victory that's coming your way. I want to say thank you so much, Elizabeth Hopkins, Lily, (laughs) for sharing your story with us. Thank you so much. Candy, thank you. Thanks for listening to The Story Behind Her Success with Candy O'Terry. This is a series with one goal in mind, to shine the spotlight on women doing great things with their lives. We hope these weekly stories will motivate and inspire you. If you'd like to suggest someone for Candy to interview, she'd love to hear about it. Connect with her anytime on Facebook, Twitter, and her website, CandyOterry.com. That's C-A-N-D-Y-O-T-E-R-R-Y.com. You'll find all of these links in the show notes. What's your story?